Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. For most of the rest of the world, Christmas is now but a distant memory. But within the Christian tradition for at least the last 1,500 years, the celebration continues beyond December 25th for 12 days. A tradition from which comes, by the way, that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. The end point of Christianity's annual observance of Christmas, the twelfth day of Christmas in the church, is a day called Epiphany. The word epiphany comes from the Greek language, and it means uh, manifestation or a showing forth. Distinct from and yet related to the focus of Christmas, what happened that night in Bethlehem, specifically the birth of Christ, Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday, celebrates the revelation that comes from that birth, the glory of God revealed through the coming of His Son, Jesus Christ. Epiphany reminds us the gift of Christmas is one that continues to be unveiled to us and beckons us deeper into the beautiful mystery of the Incarnation. Now, as you know, throughout this holy season, we've been focusing a lot on appreciating the coming of Christ through the imagery and theme of light. In the anticipation and arrival of Jesus' birth, the Bible repeatedly speaks of the light that has come into the world and into our lives. And not just any light, but the light, the light of God's person and presence, the light of life, the light by which all life that has been, is, or ever will be created, the light by which we can see and know who God is, as well as God's plan and purpose for us, which is to cast away all our darkness and to lead us unto salvation, back into perfect, everlasting communion with Him and with each other. But there's still one more aspect to appreciating Jesus as the light for us to consider. Now, in our modern usage of the English language, we use the word epiphany to speak of having an illuminating realization or discovery, having an epiphany. And with today's message, the final in our Advent sermon series, I'll be leaning more on this understanding of epiphany as together we will gain this important revelation or insight, that recognizing Jesus as the light, believing in Him as the light of the world, following Him should lead us to bearing the light of Jesus Christ through our lives and in this world. Let's listen now to Jesus telling us this very thing from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Good morning, Grace. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This brief passage is an excerpt from Matthew's first collection of some of the teachings of Jesus. It covers three chapters in total, and it's a discourse that's otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, as you might remember, begins this sermon with a segment of teaching known as the Beatitudes, a declaration of a series of unexpected blessings towards the kind of people who are otherwise overlooked and discounted by the rest of the world, yet, according to Jesus, are favored by God. Immediately after this, right out of the gate, Jesus then makes this startling proclamation. 
You are the light of the world. Now, it's a surprising pronouncement because up till now, the operating assumption has been that Jesus is the one who is the light. Elsewhere, as recorded in John's Gospel, there is this pivotal moment, in fact, when Jesus openly proclaims himself to be the light of the world, not once, but twice. And yet here, Jesus turns this assertion around and points to us, you and me, and announces this naked truth, that it is our calling to be the light, the light of the world. The obvious question is, how can we be the light if Jesus is the light? Is Jesus the light or are we? And the answer is both. To understand how this can be the answer, we need only look to how God created our world to function. In nature, the planet Earth receives almost all of its light from two sources. During the day, we receive light from our primary source, the sun. However, at night, we receive a little bit of light from the moon. Now, the moon does not create its own light. Instead, it reflects light from the sun to us. It takes the light it receives from the sun and passes it on to the earth. In much the same way, we are not the light of the world in the same sense that Jesus is as the sun, the son of God. We are not ourselves the source or the means of the light. Jesus is the source and the means of our life. The light of Christ is the life of all humanity, the divine spark of our creation, the holy fire of our salvation, the sacred radiance that enables and empowers us to be changed, to be transformed into our best eternal selves. Jesus alone is the true light of the world, revealing to us once again who God is, who we are, and both guiding and enlivening our steps on the path of renewal and restoration that the Lord has prepared for us. Every single one of us is blind without the light of Christ. Without the brilliance of Jesus, humanity is wandering around in the dark, this is why we celebrate Christmas each and every year. Apart from God, apart from Jesus, we have no true source or means of light in and of ourselves. We all need the light that only Christ brings, that only Jesus can give. However, once we receive the light of Christ, we become light bearers of Jesus. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, we as children of God are called to reflect the light of the Son of God. Jesus here doesn't tell us to be the light or generate our own light. Rather, Christ declares that we already are the light. We already are the light because the light of Jesus has dawned on us, piercing the darkness and filling our lives. The light we are, the light we have to share, does not belong to us, but is an overflow of God's truth, love, and grace reflected through our lives. Digging a little deeper, let's ask ourselves what it means for us to be the light. On an elementary level, light exists. Light is defined as a source of illumination. In the natural world, light reveals what may be hidden. Light enables us to see things as they really are. Light provides direction as we move forward. To understand the light that Jesus is, the light that Christ brings, it functions in the same way spiritually, right? The person and the teachings of Jesus help us to see everything more clearly, including ourselves. They reveal how things truly are, as well as how they can be. And the work of Christ, how he lived, how he died, his resurrection from death, and the illumination of his spirit at Pentecost provide direction. They take us somewhere. They lead us into a new dynamic future of forever, dwelling with God. 
Our calling to be the light then involves reflecting this person and this work of Jesus in and through our lives, through our testimony as followers of Jesus, in our consciousness of our own imperfections, and through our humble confession and repentance of our own sin, in our daily professed need and reliance upon the grace of God, through our generous expression of love and compassion, we enable others to see the reality of our darkened world as well as illuminate the transforming truth of the gospel through Jesus in that world. In other words, our calling as the light is to shine, to shine the goodness of God, the glory of Christ through everything we say and all that we do. Jesus reinforces the importance of shining as his light as he goes on to make the comment that no one lights a lamp only to put it under a bushel or a bowl. Now, what Jesus points out here would have been obvious to his original audience. It would have been nonsensical to put a light under a bowl because light back then was a precious commodity. I mean, in our modern day and age, it's difficult for us to imagine a world without light. But in the ancient world, when it was nightfall, the darkness predominated. While there was some recourse against the darkness of the night, say with a fire born of a torch or oil-based lamps, the people of Jesus' day were still, by and large, at the mercy of the natural light. The thing is, we who live in a post-Edisonian world in the age of electricity, we tend to take the presence of light for granted, right? I mean, in our age, marked by the pollution of artificial light, we are almost never at the mercy of wherever the sun happens to be. We can make our own light. We live in an illusory control of light in that we are able to manifest it with the flick of a switch. We only notice light when it's absent, when the lights won't come on, right? When a match has to be struck, when the beam of a flashlight or the faint flicker of a candle is the only illumination we have, that's when we notice the light. You see, and it's our perceived mastery of light that can make Jesus' words here much more provocative than obvious. Because what Jesus underscores is that light is meant to be seen. Light is intended to shine. That's the purpose of light. In coming down to us in Christ, God turns on the light. He lights up our lives and this world spiritually with the intention that the light, the light of Jesus, always stays on. This light that God gives in Christ is intended to push back against. It's to overcome the darkness. And the only way this light, the light of Jesus, goes dark is if we turn off his light in our lives. If we hide or obscure the presence of Christ in and through our lives. The important insight Jesus gives here is lights don't end up under bowls by accident. The light Jesus describes is a light that is not snuffed out, but covered up. It's a light that's not extinguished as much as it is rendered ineffective because it is dampened. God gives us a light that will never go out. The only way for the light of Christ to be dimmed or diminished in our lives is through all the junk we put in front of it or over it. And what Jesus implies here is that we might as well not have this light if we're just going to cover it up. The brilliance of the gospel the revelation of Jesus, the illumination of the kingdom of God, the light given to us in Christ is not meant to be turned on and off depending on our mood, our comfortability, or our level of need. If we're turning on and off our relationship with Jesus depending on our circumstances, then the light we're offering is artificial light and not the light of Christ at work in and through us. This light of Christ that brings life is meant to shine brightly, never going out, never being dimmed, but rather constantly 
defiantly but graciously breaking through the darkness of our lives and of our world. 2020 has been a year marked by more than any other in a long time by the presence of darkness. I am not saying anything new. It's something that's been brought up, at least by me, countless times already in sermons. We all know what I mean. The tensions and the frustrations, the chaos and the confusion, the persistent animosity and the violent growing divide visible in every news headline or neighborhood conversation over this past year. The question is, Have we, as followers of Jesus, been reflecting the light of Christ in the midst of all this darkness? Have we been contributing to the darkness or shining the light of Jesus? Take a moment and let's consider our words. Let's consider our actions over this last year. What have we been the most vocal about in these last 12 months? What have we most visibly reflected through our actions, the things that we've been doing? The demand for our rights? The insistence upon our freedom? Doing what we want in defiance of what we've been asked to do? Ridiculing and mocking those with whom we disagree or oppose? But isn't the light of Christ what we see in the life and work of Jesus? Doesn't it look different than this? Completely different than that? If we're reflecting the light of Jesus, of the gospel, of the kingdom, shouldn't our words be marked more by forgiveness and love rather than scorn and animosity? Shouldn't our actions, what we do, be displaying compassion and generosity? Shouldn't they be displaying a willingness to sacrifice our rights and our freedoms for the good of others and not just ourselves, even with those with whom we are at odds? My friends, have we as Christians been reflecting the light of Jesus or covering up his light and contributing to the darkness of this past year? Will we dare honestly answer this question? And please notice I said we. Because make make no mistake, as much as this is a question each of us must ask ourselves as a light bearer for Christ, we must also ask it of our whole community as the church together. Because when Jesus says you are the light of the world, the you in this sentence is plural. As they might say down south, Jesus says y'all are the light of the world. Or to be more, even more emphatic, Jesus says, all y'all are the light of the world. Get the picture? Jesus is talking about all of us together. Jesus is calling everyone in the community of faith, his body, the church, to reflect his light to the world. So now the question is not just, how are you doing? It's how are we doing as the church? What has the church been known for in 2020? Have people seen the light of Christ in how we have conducted ourselves as his body? Would Jesus have fought so aggressively and defiantly for our right to gather in a building for worship? Didn't Jesus condemn the religious obsession with the building, the temple of his day, especially when it came at the expense of caring for those in need, for those who were suffering? Beloved, this past year, in our institutional self-absorption, Have we been so busy trying to reclaim our sense of community as the church in our buildings that we've missed the opportunity to bring the light, the community of Christ, into the dark places of our neighborhoods around us? Would Jesus have spent as much time and energy promoting, defending, even fighting for a Supreme Court nominee or a presidential candidate? 
Didn't Jesus reframe a question about political concerns, giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar as being minor and insignificant compared to advancing the vision and agenda of the kingdom of God, of acting justly and of loving mercy? Beloved, this past year in putting more of our faith in our politics rather than submitting our politics to the demands of our faith, have we as the church, by taking sides in the division of this world, forsaken our calling to shine the light of Christ in order to bring this world together? I think we've forgotten something as Christians who are Americans. As light bearers for Christ, our focus, our calling, is not just to one nation under God, but to all nations. Jesus calls us, we, who profess to follow him, the light of the world. The Greek word here for world is our word, cosmos. We are to reflect the light of Christ, in other words, before all creation, before every nation, before all the earth and even beyond. The implications of this are tremendous. First, this means the light we have been given is not light for us to primarily keep to ourselves. When light truly shines, light spreads. The light of Christ comes into our lives to be shared so that its brightness will shine and spread into the lives of others. We are true light bearers for Jesus only when we pour out his light for the sake of those living in darkness. And the second thing that's tremendous here is that in being the light of the cosmos, that means we are offered the light of Christ to the whole world. We're offering it to the whole world. In other words, no one's supposed to be excluded. The inclusionary nature of Jesus' intended light is magnified as he speaks about putting a light on a stand so that it lights up the whole house. Light, when it appears, is always elevated. It always rises. It's put on a stand. Why? So that the throw and influence of that light can have maximum impact, so that all can benefit from it. In the same way, Jesus is making it clear, our light, the light of Christ in us, is intended to be visible, raised up, shining brightly in order to bring good, not just to some or a few, but to everyone. No matter their nationality, ethnicity, class, gender, or age, all are included in our calling as the church to share the warmth and the acceptance, the heat and the healing, the energy and the empowerment of the light of Christ. It's not by accident that Jesus frames our identity in being the reflection of his light through the image of a city on a hill. This idea of a city on a hill was a metaphor with meaning in the time that Jesus first gave this sermon. Because you see, Cicero, the great Roman orator and politician, had described the imperial metropolis of Rome, the politically dominant city of the day, as being a light to the whole world. And it's been popular still in our times for politicians to put this image from the Bible, a city on a hill, in speaking of America. But Jesus counters this kind of framing as he asserts his light, the real light for the world, is not found in any one geographic location. It's not exhibited by the power and might of any worldly empire. No, Jesus declares his light is reflected by those who follow him, who shine for him, who pour out the content of his life, his person, his life, his work for the sake of others. 
And as Jesus goes on to make perfectly clear, so there's no doubts, shining or pouring out his light isn't merely sitting back, receiving the grace of God and simply telling others what a great, abundant, sweet life we have in him. Jesus gets very specific here as he directs us saying, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. In other words, shining or pouring out the light of Christ necessitates action and not simply proclamation. But it's more than living the kind of life that makes a generic positive difference for others in the world. It is living like Jesus more than just talking about Jesus. It's more than mere moralism. It's reflecting a life of trust in God. It's abiding in the blessings of the Lord and living out of a sense of gratitude for God's presence and provision rather than acting in a perpetual state of demand or challenge before the Lord. It's understanding that breaking a commandment isn't as much breaking a rule as it is rejecting the promises of God. It's denying that the Lord's way of life is better than our way of living life. Shining the light of Christ is following the way of God and in so doing, teaching and inspiring others to believe in Jesus and leading them to walk the same way. Shining the light of Christ is reflecting the goodness of God so that others might see the shape of God's goodness and thus recognize the Lord's many blessings in their life, specifically the giving of Christ. Shining the light of Christ is recognizing any good works we do are not ours, in that they do not belong to us, for we are not the source of such good works. We are not the source or the means of the light, as we discussed, that's Christ alone. We are only the conduits of God's righteousness, reflections pointing to the greater reality of the sun. Lights shining the way to God's righteousness and glory, not our own. Notice the present tense as Jesus tells us as his followers, we are light now, not in some distant future, but we are light here and now. We don't have to generate the light. We don't have to turn on the light. We just have to let the light of Christ shine in and through our lives together. We just have to be willing and courageous to bring the light of Jesus in this city, here in this neighborhood, in the darkest places of our communities, before those who are lost, confused, forgotten, or afraid, through our example in service and sacrifice, even in the face of personal suffering and persecution. We are to be conduits of the justice and mercy, the grace and hope of the saving presence of Christ. And when we are, when, when we see a beautifully lit city on a hill, we don't discuss the lights. We talk of the genius of the architect, right? When we gather around a well-lit table for a feast, we don't praise the light by which we eat. Instead, we give credit to the one who prepared the meal. So it is when the light of Christ, our relationship and commitment to Jesus, shines upon those around us. When others witness the beauty of our good works and when strangers feel the warmth of our hospitality and care, as we dispel the darkness of ignorance, prejudice, and selfishness, people will perceive the reality of the light that comes from on high, the light that has come into this world that the darkness cannot overcome. When we are the light of Christ to others and for others, God gets the credit. God will be glorified. They won't talk about us. They'll talk about Jesus. It's like an impressionist painting. The more others look upon the face of Jesus illuminated through us, 
the more light they will see and the more they will be transfigured by the person of Christ until eventually they will meet Jesus for themselves. My friends, we are without question living in anxious and uncertain times. Many of the most vulnerable among us are truly living in darkness in fear for their future. In the strain and struggle of this long valley we are walking through, all of us are being tempted to give in to the darkness within ourselves, to yield before the deep divisions that are tearing at the fabric of our humanity, rather than realizing we're in this together. And more importantly, that we're not alone. Beloved, the encouraging thing about being the light is a little bit goes a long way. A little bit of light can make a big difference. It's not about the amount. It's about the potency. And we aren't called to save the world. Jesus has got that. But we are called to make a difference for Christ, to be a part of his light that is overtaking this world, that is overcoming all its darkness. And no matter where we are in our relationship with Jesus, thanks to the grace of God, we have the capacity and the power to be generous in sharing the illumination of the hope we all have in Christ. So before the darkness within and all around us, may we shine the light of Jesus, filling every space, every moment with the promise and possibility of his truth, his love, and his amazing grace. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. 